good to be in the house with you this morning. My name is Mark Putman, one of the pastors here at the church, and uh, I'm glad to be here with you today. So I have a few questions I want to start out this morning by asking you, think about these. Do you walk through life with confidence, intensity, and strength, determined to make things happen? Is your leadership style decisive and assertive? Do you work hard to be a change agent in the world, working for justice and protection for other people? Do you resist ever showing your vulnerable side for fear it might give other people power over you? Well, if you answered yes to any of these questions, you might just be a type 8 on the Enneagram personality profile. Type 8s are also known as the challenger. Well, we are in week eight of the series looking at each of the nine different personality types that are part of Enneagram. Now, let's face it, we are all uniquely and wonderfully made by God. And each and every one of us in our dominant personality type reflects a part of who God is. And God, in the human form of Jesus Christ, is a perfect reflection of all of the best and healthy parts of each of these nine different personalities. What we're trying to do is to use the Enneagram as a tool so that we can understand ourselves better. Because when we understand ourselves better, both the healthy parts of our personality and the unhealthy parts of our personality, it can help us give us knowledge to grow healthier and to grow in a way that makes us more and more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. Today we are looking at personality type 8, the challenger. And challengers get this name because of all the personality types. Eights like to take on challenges themselves as well as they like to give other people challenges to help them rise to be um, an even better version of themselves. Eights are charismatic, and they have the capability to persuade other people to follow them in all different kinds of endeavors, like starting a company or rebuilding a city, running a household, waging war, or working for peace. Challengers have enormous willpower and vitality. They feel most alive when they are exercising these capabilities in the world. They enjoy using their energy to make changes in their environment, to leave their mark on it, but also to keep their environment and especially other people for, from hurting them and the people that they care about. At an early age, eights understand that this is going to require strength and will and persistence and endurance, qualities that they develop in themselves and which they look for in other people. Eights are strong, independent. They're a powerful force. And people will often say that you know it when a type eight walks into the room. Now, it might be because of something they say out loud, or it might just be that strong presence that is silent. It doesn't matter. Either way, you know when an eight is in your presence. Now, they don't have very much patience with what they see as weaknesses, either in themselves or in other people. But they are defenders of people who are e being treated unjustly or who are powerless. Challengers are self-confident. 
They have strong and assertive personalities. They can be fiercely protective of people who are closest to them. They are resourceful, straight-talking, decisive. But they can sometimes come across as being egocentric and domineering. Now, the core desire of the challenger is to protect themselves and the people who are in their inner circle. Eights want to be in control of their own lives and their destiny. They want to be self-reliant, to assert themselves, to prevail over other people, and to be invincible. Now, when eights are emotionally healthy, they have a resourceful, kind of can-do sort of attitude, as well as this steady inner strength. They love to take the initiative and, and make things happen with great passion for life. They are honorable and authoritative, natural leaders who have a solid, commanding presence. Their groundedness gives them a lot of common sense, as well as the ability to be decisive. Eights are willing to take the heat. They know that decisions they make are never going to please everyone. But as much as possible, they want to look after the interests of the people who are in their charge without playing favorites. They use their talents and fortitude to construct a better world for everyone in their lives. Eights don't want to be controlled or to allow other people to have control over them. This is actually their core fear. And a lot of their behavior is involved with making sure that they retain and increase whatever power they have for as long as possible. An eight may be a general or a gardener, a small businessman or a business tycoon, a mother of a family or a mother superior of a religious community. It doesn't matter. What matters is being in charge and leaving an imprint on the sphere of influence, that's what's uniquely characteristic of an eight. Challengers are the true rugged individualists of the Enneagram. More than any other type, they stand alone. They want to be independent, and they resist being indebted to anyone. They often refuse to give in to social convention, and they can defy fear and shame and concern about the consequences of their actions. Although they are usually very aware of what other people think of them, they don't let other people's opinions get in their way or sway them. They go about their business with a steely determination that can be awe-inspiring or it can also be intimidating. Now, although to some extent eights fear physical harm, far more important is their fear of being disempowered or controlled in some way. Eights are extraordinarily tough. They can absorb a great deal of physical punishment without complaining. And this can be a double-edged sword, since they often take their health and stamina for granted and overlook the health and well-being of others. Yet they are desperately afraid of being hurt emotionally. And they will use their physical strength to protect their feelings and keep others at a safe emotional distance. Beneath the tough facade is vulnerability. 
although it has been covered over by a layer of emotional armor. Now, each of the nine personality types struggles with a core weakness or a core sin. This is the one issue that usually causes this type to stumble in life. And for the eight, the core weakness is lust or, ex or excess. They desire control, intensity, and power. They can willfully push themselves and others to get what they want. We have a couple of challengers on staff here at Anderson Hills. Take a look at this short video and hear how being a type 8 affects Eric and Sue Lee. Another name for the number eight challenger is the active controller. How does that fit you? For me, actually, uh, before I surrendered my life to the Lord, raising my children, try to control over my kids. They have to do certain ways this way. And then I didn't realize unintentionally I was controlling my children. But and yet after I became Christian and released all my wealth, my heart to the Lord, knowing Jesus is my Lord, so I surrender, intentionally surrender my heart, surrender my will to the Lord. What is your greatest fear? My eightness in me is like me wanting to be in the very most intense place I can be for the Lord. Like intense meaning like doing the most, leading the most, <laughs> having everything just like there's no settling. And so I think my fear is that I'm not like living to the utmost that I can be all the time. What is your greatest need? My greatest need is the power of the Holy Spirit because I've been crying out to the Lord God, fill me with your Holy Spirit, fill me with your power, so what? So I can witness the love of God to the people. So that is, I just cry out for the presence of the Lord and power of the Holy Spirit. That's my greatest need. Yeah. I want to take that answer because <laughs> I totally agree with Julie and we have, it's funny since we're both eights or have the same kind of um, personalities in a way, even though they manifest in different ways, we, we both push for the same things I think on staff yes. and we both ask for the same things and we're both yes. working towards the same things very often. In this season, I've just been like, Lord, I just want intimacy with you. I just want to be close to you because if I'm gonna do what you're calling me to do, I just need to feel you close. So how does being a type eight, the challenger, impact your relationship with Christ? It's like I can very easily add the Lord into what I want to see happen. And I have to be really careful of that because, because we're the controller type, you know, the eight, um, which can be a really great thing or a really bad thing. Just the, just the need to control and to lead at all times. Sometimes I look back and I'm like, wait, did you really want us to do that? You know, or something like that, but just, you know, and so it's so important for me to be so close to the Lord and have my ears open and have eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, what do you actually want? And to be close to him in order to lead in the right way. Every day I say, God, I want more of that. I don't want to miss out opportunity. Mm -hmm. So downside of that is more like, oh, am I striving too much? And I don't want to strive. I want to yield it to the Lord yeah. because it is my desire always to hear God, know God's will and do it. And I say, am I missing it? <laughs> and I don't want to be afraid of missing it because God is full of grace and mercy. But and yet, it helps me to 
go deeper with the Lord. It helps me to dig what God desires for our lives. Amen. Well, there is someone else from Scripture who is a type 8, the challenger. His name is John the Baptist. Now, you've got to admit, John was a pretty unique kind of character, wasn't he? I mean, he seemed to challenge convention with everything he did. For one thing, he wore strange clothes. He shunned the latest fashionable togas from Brooks Brothers in Jerusalem, and instead he shopped at a store called Animal Skins Are Us. And he ate weird food, too. I mean, he probably never had friends that wanted to be invited over to his house for a dinner party. No, his menu sounded less like fine dining downtown at Soto and more like scrounging for bugs on an episode of Survivor. Now, John the Baptist had been set apart by God to play a very special role even before his conception. An angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah while he was attending to his priestly duties at the temple and told him that he and his wife, Elizabeth, were going to have a son and that they should name him John. John would be great in God's sight, and he was to be set apart his whole life as a Nazarite, never drinking wine or any fermented drink. And John was filled with the Holy Spirit right from his birth. And when John grew up, he began his ministry, and he was a straightforward truth-teller. He wasn't afraid to stand up to people, even the religious authorities of his day, for the sake of a greater cause. And he used this confrontational style of preaching to get right to the heart of the matter. Let's hear how the Gospel of Matthew introduces us to John. I'm going to be reading from chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. In those days... John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to him where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. 
As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Yeah, John is strong and confident in the message that he proclaimed out there in the desert. And his message draws people to come out of the complacency of their lives and to listen to him. His message is compelling. First, John says very bluntly that the kingdom of God is upon them, that God's judgment day is near, and it's not going to be a great day for people who are not faithful. John says people whose lives don't reflect what they say they believe are just like unproductive fruit trees that don't bear any fruit. They aren't good for anything, and all you can do is take an axe to them right down to the root and throw the tree into the fire. But, John proclaims, there is one way to get ready for Judgment Day, and that way is through repentance. For you see, repentance means a total transformation of your priorities and your values and a complete overhaul of your lifestyle. Your priorities have to become God's priorities. Your values have to become God's values. Your lifestyle has to reflect your obedience to God through actions, words, and deeds. Your life has to bear fruit that's worthy of your repentance. John called out the Pharisees and the Sadducees because they were often hypocrites, telling people to do one thing, preaching one thing, but not willing to do it themselves. Second, John says that you can't rely on your family tree to help get you into heaven. To the Jews, he said, don't rely on being a Jew. Don't rely on being a descendant of Abraham. God can turn rocks into descendants of Abraham. Instead, John invites anyone and everyone to repent, to be baptized, and to be spared of God's wrath. Finally, John's message is clear in conveying that he is only the messenger, that he is the voice of one crying out in the wilderness to prepare the way for the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. John has a healthy self-awareness, both of who he is and who he is in relation to the Messiah. Now, in addition to being a force to be reckoned with, challengers often bring a message that has to be reckoned with. Eights are strong defenders of people who are treated unjustly or who are powerless. Now Luke tells a very similar account of John the Baptist that like Matthew does, but with several differences. I'm going to look at Luke 3 beginning in verse 7, and I want you to listen for both the similarities and the differences between these two accounts. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, 
and anyone who has food to share should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. And then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and all were wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. You see, in Luke's telling, or retelling of John's preaching, he emphasizes the ordinary people who are going out to hear John's message of repentance. And his message is really hitting home with them, really sinking in, so much so that it causes the people to begin asking him questions like, what do we have to do to put our desire to change into action? And John starts by telling people who have enough to share what they have with people who do not have enough. If you have two shirts, give one of them to someone who doesn't have a shirt. If you have enough food to have three square meals a day, then give some food to people who don't have any food to eat. Next, some tax collectors asked what they should do. Now, you know that tax collectors were hated people back in, uh, back in this day. They were, they were ordinary people, like your friends, your neighbor. They lived next door to you. But the work that they did wasn't for local taxes. They worked for the occupying force of Rome, collecting Roman taxes. And the way it worked was they were required to, uh, to tax a certain amount from you. And any more that they could get out of you, they got to keep for themselves. So the more they could swindle you, the richer they got. And people hated that. And so John told them, be honest. Don't collect any more than is due. And when the soldiers asked what they should do, and keep in mind, these again are Roman soldiers, part of an occupying force. John told them not to take advantage of people, extorting money from them or bringing false accusations against them. John used his personality as a type 8 defender of the downtrodden, not only to stand up for weaker members of society, but also to teach other people to do the same thing. And of course he did this because he was called by God to do this and because it is biblically what God has commanded his followers to do. It is the message of the kingdom of God breaking in that John is preaching. Eights often stand up for people who are most vulnerable, but they often have difficulty being vulnerable themselves or even accepting their own vulnerability the Apostle Paul wrote about his own struggle with vulnerability in 2 Corinthians. He wrote, even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, 
I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul recognized his own weakness, and in fact, he came to embrace it. Now, we don't know what this thorn in his side actually was, but it was enough of a weakness to him that he begged God to take it from him on three different occasions. However, through learning to accept his weakness, he came to have a better understanding of God's strength. He came to rely on God's power more than on his own power, and it kept him humble. John the Baptist had learned humility early. He had learned to keep whatever ambition he might have had in check. He continually measured what he was called by God to do against the one who was coming after him, the Messiah. He recognized the importance of his task for God, but still realized that when compared to the Messiah, he was not even worthy to carry his sandals. John was a healthy type 8. He had grown in God's grace. And so what had he learned to make that the case? And how do today's eights grow in grace and into the healthiest version of the challengers? Well, when you begin to believe that God loves you and that you trust in that promise that God loves you and that all that God has is yours, you begin to relax and let go of your personality's constraints and the lies that you've come to believe about it and yourself over the years. That allows you to draw closer to God and to move in a direction that aligns with God. And then God blesses you with real and lasting transformation, shaping you into who he has made you to be. One thing that eights can work on to grow in grace is to learn to pursue and to extend mercy. Eights don't have very much patience with themselves or with other people when they see weaknesses. And so learning to extend mercy to themselves and then to others is a good way to grow. Eights can work on growing in their consideration for others, to be quicker to serve others, and to put the needs of others above their own. James 3, 17 says, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Eights can also remember that mercy and judgment work together. Let yourself be stretched by God because of his mercy and kindness to those who repent and change. Remember that John the Baptist pronounced the judgment of God on the world and on people who were disobedient to God, and he proclaimed to them the solution to repent, to change your life, and when you do that, you'll receive mercy. That is the good news of the kingdom that John proclaimed. 
James 2, 13 says, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. But mercy triumphs over judgment. Apes can also grow in grace by striving to grow in humility, by not thinking more highly of themselves than they ought to, by keeping their impression of themselves in right relationship to their position with the Lord. And finally, apes can grow in allowing themselves to be more vulnerable, letting down their strong exterior now and then, showing more of their feelings, tenderheartedness, and soft spots. Apes, you don't have to strive to be in control all the time, protecting yourself and those who are dear to you. You don't have to do that because you are loved by God. You belong to God. God is your protector, and God is the protector of those that you love as well. You can be your real self with God, strong sometimes in all of its healthiest aspects, and weak and vulnerable sometimes, letting God show his mighty strength and power through you. Yes, the kingdom of God is near, so let us repent and turn to God our Savior, and no matter what number we are, Let's let God keep remaking us, keep remolding us, keep reshaping us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ so that we can be a reflection of Christ to the world. Will you pray with me? Holy One, we give you thanks and praise that you have created each one of us so uniquely and so wonderfully made. We thank you for the uniqueness of each of us, but even more than that, we thank you that when you add us together, the sum of who we are, all of our numbers, is more than each of us individually ever could be. Together, we make up the body of Christ. Together, we make up the fullness of the church that you long for. Lord, help us to keep growing, no matter what our number is, more and more into your likeness, embracing the healthiest aspects of ourselves and learning to taint those unhealthy parts I'm shunning the lies that we've come to believe and replacing them with the truth that we are your beloved. So that in the healthiest version of ourselves, as part of the body of Christ, we can draw the world to God through you, Jesus Christ. And it is in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So if you all stand up, we're going to finish up with one more song. And I just wanted to remind you that... Uh, you have something heavy on your heart and you would like